Hello, friends, and welcome to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick, and I am your host. And on today's episode, we are going to honor a personal hero of mine and a pillar of the bikepacking community and even beyond in his family and his community and the running community. Uh, Hal's presence has been felt and will continue to ripple through all of these communities and in our hearts for a, a long time. As many of you will know, two weeks ago I was scheduled to um, interview Hal again uh, for the second time on the back porch of his Missouri home. And the morning I woke up to go visit with him, I wasn't feeling too hot, so I could, took a COVID test and tested positive. So I went back home to Texas, and the next week I had planned to drive back up and meet with him again, and we found out last Wednesday that Hal had passed away in his home, in his favorite chair, surrounded by loved ones. And um, I'll be honest, it's hard to know that I missed that opportunity. Um, I was, I know that we were both looking forward to meeting again, and um, I wanted so much to give him an opportunity to uh, share some more stories and really anything that he wanted to share. I wanted to see him again. I knew that he had been battling cancer, and um, I am grateful that, you know, towards the end, I was able to be in pretty constant contact with him, and whether it's through messages or phone calls um, he always kept a positive attitude, a smile. He always was optimistic. I mean, even, you know, the week, you know, before he passed away, he was uh, talking about maybe making a trip down to Texas to come and see me. So, you know, he wrote a book called Touching Bo or Touch Both Lines and how touched both lines all the way to the end. He never stopped fighting. He never stopped trying. He never stopped inspiring all of us and being a positive example um, in our lives. And I think to honor Hal today, we'll focus on, on the happy times, just all the beautiful moments that he gave us. You know, I was thinking about, you know, Hal and his example and I think one reason we all relate to him so well is because he was relatable. He, like all of us, had demons or ghosts and hurdles in his life that he had to overcome, that he struggled with. And I think the great service that he did to probably himself and people who were around him is that he wasn't shy to talk about it and share those things. And it wasn't to bring anyone down, but he always had a purpose. He always had a plan. He knew why he was on the tour divide. He knew why he started riding bikes. He, you know, he always, he always had his own purpose and he knew who he was and he knew what he was working through and this was his process and he always no matter what was going on in his life even 
fighting terminal cancer and and ultimately succumbing to that and passing away, he never stopped being a powerful force of positivity and being an example and a light in this world. He never hemmed and hawed and you know dragged his head low and uh, and 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 felt defeated. You know he always had a huge smile on his face and he spread nothing but love and kindness and he had nothing but love and kindness in his heart and um it's just a beautiful combination of of knowing who you are knowing what you need having a plan sticking to it and spreading love and positivity and just an absolute legend of an example for so many of us. If you followed his story, he didn't even pick up a bike until he was 57. And it wasn't long before he was competing in Leadville 100 and went on to ride the Tour Divide six times. His last time was in 2019. And uh, he finished. Talking about touching both lines, Hal always said, I know two things. I'm going to start and I'm going to finish. I don't know what's going to happen in between, but I know that those two things are going to happen. And he did. He never quit anything. He put everything he had into it. Quitting wasn't an option. In fact, I remember now one of his quotes that really stuck with me was when he said that quitting is too easy. Quitting is the easiest thing you can do. He had a lot of simple life lessons like that, and I think that was part of his charm. Is he was in many ways just a regular guy that was relatable, that had simple solutions for maybe large or bigger problems. I think a lot of times we can overcomplicate things, but it seemed like Hal always just had a really simple and a beautiful way of, of looking at the world. And I think that that simplicity it made him very relatable. And um, those lessons that he taught us, both through his words and his actions, will, like I said, ripple through all of our hearts and through our communities for a very long time. So today's episode, we are going to pay tribute to this great man. I've put out a call for people in the community that knew him and wanted to share stories to um, send those in. And we got quite a few, uh, many of his very good friends um, sent in beautiful tributes. And I'll be honest, I cried through most of them. So the first part of today's episode is going to be those tributes to Hal. And then the last part is going to be segments from our first interview that I did with him. I believe it was June of 2019. It was right before he went to ride his final farewell tour divide um, in 2019. And uh, we had a great chat. It was one of my uh, fondest moments just in my life to get to sit down with somebody who I really look up to and have the honor of just listening to him and being in his presence, and I'll always cherish that. So I listened to that episode and picked out some of my favorite Hal moments, and I'm going to share those with you um, at the end of this podcast and have Hal uh, close us out in his own way. 
But before we get to today's episode, there's no ads or anything like that, but I do want to share a few things as they pertain to Hal. First off, his funeral and visitation are this weekend. So Friday, January 28th from 6 to 8 p.m. is the visitation at Sheldon Goodrich Funeral Home in Asilla, Missouri. And the funeral is scheduled for Saturday, January 29th at 2 p.m. at First Baptist Church in Osceola. And I will put that information in the show notes so you can find that. Um, I'm unfortunately not able to make it, but if you can, I'm sure that um, his family would appreciate that. Also, I want to um, share how you can acquire his book, Touch Both Lines. Um, I read it um, in preparation for my second interview with him. And uh, actually, he he references this book in our first interview back in 2019, and he talks about how he probably probably never get around to writing it. I'm trying to write a book, and I'd never probably get it done. But uh, and uh, my idea is, you touch both lines. That'd be the so-called name of my book. I believe that uh, if you're an athlete and you're and say a basketball player, the coach has you run back and forth there and uh, in, in practice, and you reach touch down, you lines, touch, yeah. touch the line. I grew the up playing end. tennis, and we, we touched yeah, the line. And, yeah, and most sports, you have to do that in, in conditioning. But a lot of kids won't do that. They, the coach isn't looking. They, they won't. I, I've watched that lots of times. They won't touch both mm-hmm. lines. But Dad taught me to touch both lines. He said, you'll be as successful as you possibly can be well, uh, in true touch both lines fashion, uh, he did write the book, and um, mine is completely marked up. And um, man, I had so many questions and uh, follow up stories I wanted to hear from him. But you know, luckily, he did leave this book for us. It can be purchased on Facebook. There's a touch both lines Facebook page. And his son, Dallas, is the one who manages that, that and ships them out and stuff. So, you know, be patient with them as they're obviously going through a hard time. But I know that they're eager to get Hal's story out to the world. So I'm going to also put that information in the show notes or you can reach out to them via Facebook. And, um, you know, one thing I was thinking about when I, I read this book is how great it would be if there was an audiobook version. I'm a huge audiobook uh, fan. I have to travel a lot for work. Well, I don't have to, but for the podcast, I'm always driving and I love audiobooks. When you ride, audiobooks are great companions. And I thought it would be really great to have this as an audiobook. And so I have offered to donate my, my time, my talents, and my recording equipment to that effort. Um, the family has accepted. And so I'm excited. This is a real honor to read his book. And uh, do what I can to help continue to make sure that his story reaches as many people as possible. And um, I'm honored to have that opportunity. I've never read an audiobook before. 
Uh, it sounds like a big project, but it's one that I'm looking forward to. So um, no dates on, on when I can have that done. The editing will be will be the big big challenge. So but I wanted to share that. It's something I'm 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 really excited about and I'm excited to be able to continue to share his story and to elevate um, him and his example. And uh, so it can continue to to ripple. All right, one last note. My original episode with Hal was episode 14 when I was just a young podcaster. And uh, I hope I like to think we got a little bit better um, since then. And uh, so uh, one thing I'm going to be doing is going back over that episode and, and remastering it, uh, so to speak, uh, making sure the audio and everything is good and, and tightening, tightening it up a little bit. So um, we're, we're working on that and uh, we should have a remastered episode 14 with Hal Russell um, available very soon. I'll post about that on social media if, if you're interested in listening to that one again. And I, I really recommend that you do because I'm going to be including some of my favorite clips in, in today's tribute, but I think the whole episode is, is worth a listen. All right, everybody. Well, um, we're just going to get straight to the tributes. I want to thank everybody who took the time to send something in, I teared up on every single one of them. Uh, it, it's a difficult thing to try to express your feelings about somebody you cared about so greatly, and um, I just appreciate everybody for for taking the time to express their gratitude and share their stories, so that we can we can know how better and we can we can better understand how he impacted each of our lives. Um, so first up, we're going to hear from Sofian. Then Marty Johnson, Bonnie Ganon, Josh Cato, Sheila Ryder, and Billy Rice. And then we're going to hear some clips from my conversation with Hal back in June of 2019. Okay, Sofian, the floor is yours. So it was 2019, and um, after dropping out of the Tour Divide, I stayed uh, in Brush Mountain Lodge for quite a bit of time. Um, when I dropped out, I was uh, I was actually leading the race, uh, so it means that I got to see pretty much everyone that uh, came through uh, uh, the Brush Mountain Lodge, uh, and and I got to meet uh, pretty much every racer. And, uh, of course, one of the, the racers that came in was, uh, Hal. And, uh, I was, I was absolutely stoked to, to meet him, uh, because, I mean, he, he, he's such a legend, uh, uh, being the, the oldest, uh, uh, still, uh, still on the course and, uh, oldest finisher. And, uh, it was his, uh, fifth time racing at that time. So, uh, uh, obviously I went and, uh, shook his hand. Uh, and we, and we chatted a little bit and, um, I mean, I'd stayed there for, uh, I don't know, probably a week, uh, a bit more. And I'd noticed that the majority of the races that came into the lodge, uh, like in the afternoon or, uh, late in the afternoon, they would always, they would always stay, you know, they would always sit down, have a pizza, have a beer. Uh, chat with uh, Kirsten's and uh, other racers, have a good time, and kind of, 
kind of press that uh, reset button and be like, okay, this is the, this is halfway. Uh, I need to, I need to get some rest, have someone uh, take care of me, having, you know, Kirsten be here and, uh, uh, you know, watching your kid and having a good night's sleep and, uh, uh, several good meals, you know, a good, a good pizza. And then in the morning, good breakfast. So, I mean, after, uh, uh I would say maybe 30th, 40th place, pretty much everyone would just, uh, uh, come in, come here, get to the lodge and then spend the night and then, and then get going, uh, the, the next day in the morning. I was pretty sure that Hal would do exactly the same because it was, it was, it was late in the afternoon and, uh, you know, it's, it's a long way from, uh, from, uh, uh, Brush Mountain Lodge to Steamboat Spring. And so I was chatting with him. I was like, so, so what are you going to do, Hal? Are you going you, you going to stay here? And actually, no, he, he, uh, he told me, no, no, I gotta get going. I have my, uh, I have my schedule. It's too, uh, it's too early to stop. And, uh, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna keep going and, and I'll camp somewhere, uh, somewhere between the, the, the top of the pass and, um, and Steamboat Springs. And I was stunned. I was like, wow, that's, uh, that's some, some, some discipline and some dedication, uh, that you actually rarely see, uh, uh, when people came into the, what Kirsten likes to call the, the vortex because it just, it just sucks people in because it's just so welcoming and, and it's just, uh, uh, such a great place to, to get yourself together, uh, before uh, keeping going with the rest of the course. But yeah, how, no, he was just, uh, it was just super focused. He just stayed there for, uh, I don't think he even stayed for an hour. He just, just got a little bit of food, said hello to, to everyone. Everyone was stoked to, to meet him or see him again. And, uh, he was wearing that, uh, that t-shirt with, uh, a, a turtle on it, which said, uh, I'm running. And, um, yeah, so. I shook his hand and, um, after, I don't know, not even an hour, he was, uh, he was back on his bike and, and, and back to, to climb, uh, Sand Mountain and, and, uh, and then he, he probably camped somewhere after this. And I was, yeah, I was, I was really amazed at this guy. And, um, it's, uh, I gotta say, I mean, I was sad when I, when I heard that he, he passed away, but, you know, I think rather that, that, sadness uh what we should feel is is that we had the privilege to meet such a guy and uh, and to have such a role model and you know if i can if i can ride the tour divide when i'm 70 and uh do it in 30 days i'll be happy and i'll be super proud and uh and i'd rather think of how full is his life how i fully lived it and and how awesome he was and and how uh, many people are inspired. I'd rather think of this than, than think of the fact that he's gone. I mean, we we all have to go at some point. But, I mean, before he passed away, just inspired so many people. So, so long, Hal. See you somewhere down the road. Hey, Patrick, Marty Johnson from Wichita, Kansas, just calling in about some thoughts about our good friend, Hal Russell. And, you know, first of all, man, I'm so fortunate to be able to have called him a friend. Uh, 
He was, uh, you know, I feel sorry for those that didn't meet Hal or in the future won't have the opportunity to have met him or have ridden with him. Um, they're, they've missed out so much. And, you know, it's easy to talk about someone when they're gone, but man, you know, watching on Facebook and all the comments about how, man, he really was the real deal and gained so much respect from people. And, and, uh, you know, we talked about a smile and, and, you know, smile on how, um, but, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to have ridden with him and raced him. And, you know, I first found out about how Russell, I had messaged Jay Peterberry back, I don't know, 13, 14 and ask about doing the divide. And I'm a little bit younger than Hal and, and, uh, didn't know about an old guy doing the divide. And, and, um, you know, JP mentions like, well, you know, Hal Russell's done it a couple of times. So yeah, it's certainly doable. And so he was the inspiration for me. And, and, um, and like I say, you know, I, I got to, I got to race him and, and ride with him, but you know, Hal didn't, really want to ride with people. And, you know, he was nice about that, but, you know, he had other purposes for his riding. And of course it was, you know, to see the country, to meet the people and, and, uh, also to, you know, to solve some of his issues with Vietnam. And, and, uh, he had his memorial up there, up in Montana that he'd stop at every year. But, you know, he, he, uh, like I say, he just didn't, didn't want to ride with people. He would for a while, but he was always nice about it. But it was always fun racing him. And we're about the same speed, not real fast. And, you know, 27, 28, 29 day finishers. We both had the goal of a 25 day finish, but, you know, it was always fun, uh, racing him because I would maybe be a little faster than him, but I'd, I'd stop for the evening. And sure enough, that next morning, I look on track leaders and how's ahead of me. It's like, dad gum it. And, uh, and then we'd meet up again and ride for a little bit. But, uh, you know, I think it was early on, maybe in 15, I remember seeing Hal post a picture of, of him going down Fleecer Ridge in the middle of the night. And it's like, you know, if Hal Russell can do Fleecer Ridge at midnight, why am I stopping at nine o'clock in the evening to rest? And so that's just how he did it. Um, you know, he knew two things, knew he was going to start and finish. And I think Hal really loved the in-between part of it. He loved the problem solving. Uh, didn't run run from those things on the route. He loved figuring that stuff out. Um, I've read his book and I told Hal after I read it, I said, you know, Hal, I will always attempt to thank a vet for their service when I see him. I may not always do it, but after reading what what you and so many of our military went through and still go through during war um, is, you know, is is just something that I've got to thank them for and how it's because of you that I can do that. But, you know, how's, you know, there's very few people I can say is the salt of the earth and and one of them is, is certainly Hal. And so anyway, Patrick, thanks for the opportunity and uh, can't wait to listen to him. Have a good day. Bye. Bonnie Guyon here, and I just wanted to just share a quick story uh, about how I met Hal Russell. You know, he and I had been uh, friends on Facebook because we both belong to the Leadville 100 mountain bike race group. And I just remember thinking, you know, this guy's like an icon of this race. So I reached out to him to ask some logistical questions. And 
uh, that year when I went to Leadville, you know, there he was sitting like one or two rows in front of me. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's how Russell, like, wow, he's a little bit older than I thought, you know, like, wow, this is amazing. This guy's done this race, you know, like multiple times, you know, so I was a little bit shy, but I introduced myself and, um, you know, just got to know him a little bit better. And then over the years, you know, he was just so gracious with information and he was just really kind and encouraging. So um, at one point, you know, I researched uh, the Tour Divide and found out, you know, that he had done the race already three times. And I didn't even know that because he was so humble and just really, you know, kind of quiet about that. So I reached out to him again and I was like, oh my gosh, you've done this race, you know, like, can I pick your brain? And he was like, sure, you know, what would you like to know? So for me, it was, you know, just really asking, him, you know, what did it take to get through it? Like, where was your mindset at? And he's like, you know, it's always just like, stay in the spirit of the race. And, you know, you just don't give up. You know, I know I'm going to start and I know I'm going to finish. I just don't know what's going to happen between now and then. And I was like, wow, you know, that's a perfect philosophy. So, you know, eventually in 2019, uh, I had the privilege and honor of sharing the race course with Hal. And I'll never forget the time that, you know, it's like, I had set up camp at 1.30 in the morning, you know, and, you know, feeling kind of like, yeah, you know, hardcore, you know, been riding all this time. But at 3.30 in the morning, I hear a noise and I like open up my, my tent and there's Hal going by. And I'm like, Hal? And he's like, good morning, Bonnie. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's already up and going. It was 3.30 in the morning. And I was just, wow, you know, that's the kind of fortitude that I aspire to have, you know, so, um, we kind of like, uh, yo-yoed throughout the race, you know, and I like watched what he did and how he resupplied and all that. Um, and then he did confide in, in me, uh, about his health issues. And I just remember thinking, you know, here's a man of like average stature, but you know, he's got these just huge, you know, shoulders of a giant because he's just shouldering so much and he's doing it with grace and strength, you know, and, um, you know, he, he didn't have that look on his face of, you know, Hey, I've got, you know, all these terrible things that are happening to me. He always had, you know, his traditional iconic smile, which just, you know, automatically puts a smile on our face. So how I just want you to know that you'll be so greatly missed. You already are. You'll always be um, a legend to so many people, myself included, and you'll always be so close and dear to my heart and in, you know, in my thoughts. And, you know, I just really look forward to seeing you again someday. Thanks. Thanks for everything, Hal. Hey, this is Josh. So Hal Russell, for me, Hal was and always will be the spirit of the divide for me. I had uh, first uh, learned about Hal back in, let's see, that would have been 2015. Um, after trying in 2014 and uh, following along that race as my wife finished up that year, listening to the Collins and whatnot, Hal's Collins really kind of always stood out, um, his his descriptions of the race and why he was out there um kind of just the the story that was uh that followed along with him was kind of always intriguing so after 2015 after writing that year i contacted him and uh just kind of had uh you know correspondence with him and um really let him know what uh you know how appreciative everyone was of his call-ins and he was always 
showing to be an inspiration out there. Um, that smile of his and uh, the reasons why he was out there. He always said he was out there to, to meet the people, the great people, experience that, and to see all the beautiful things on the course, and then to work through his personal issues, namely with, uh, with Vietnam. And we all have our reasons for being out there. We all have our, our, uh, our goals that we chase. But for some reason, Howell just kind of, he always simplified that in terms of just that smile. But I think through that smile, you could always see there were, there were sometimes some tears behind those eyes. There was, um, there was a bit more than just the joy of being out there. It was kind of a lot of reasons for his, uh, for his riding it. And um, six times on the course, that's uh, pretty amazing in itself. But to do it with such, such style and, and love that Hal did, I think is, uh, is what kind of sets him apart out there. So the first time I ever met him was in, in person, was in 2016 in Banff. Uh, we were both going to line up again. Let's see, that would have been Hal's uh, fourth year, um, my third year on the starting line. And, uh, you know, as we were all running around Banff and getting things ready for the start of the race, I, I recognized him and I, I met him and shook his hand, just kind of did the quick introduction thing. And uh, it was pretty neat finally being able to meet this guy who I think my family and my parents were cheering on him on more than more than me. And it was the following day, I was at the Y in Banff, and they'd kind of barricaded off one of the seating sections outside of their little cafe so that you kind of had to work through the cafe and get something to, to drink or eat there before you could get out to this outdoor seating. They had surrounded it by like a a fencing and a few uh, flower planters out there so you couldn't access it very easy. But it was pretty early in the morning and I wanted to take a seat there. It was kind of one of the spots I usually sat in the previous years and grabbed my maps and crawled over the planters and the fencing and, and took a seat just to look at the maps. And I was just sitting there, I noticed behind me a bit of a rustling over the planters and I looked and there's this guy crawling over the, the fencing and the planters and it was Mike Hall. And uh, it was the first time he and I had ever met in person. So he sat and uh, we chatted, made the introductions and just kind of did the, uh, the introduction thing. And as we sat there and we're laughing, telling stories, uh, we heard some more wrestling behind us. And we looked and there's this other guy crawling over these planters and this fencing. And, and here pops up Hal Russell. <laughs> Big old grin on his face. I think he had a couple of flowers from the planters still hanging off of him. And Mike Hall leans over to me and he kind of whispers, is, is that Hal Russell? I lean back over to him and said, yeah, it is. And Hal is super excited to, to meet us and be able to sit down and chat with us. And he mentioned something about how he really admired the, the elite racers and how he was impressed with this and that about our about our writing and I think what Mike and I both kind of understood because we sat there and mostly we just listened to Hal and we smiled because we were kind of in awe of this guy. He's, there he is in his late 60s and already completed this race more than either one of us had 
and uh, it's like watching a professional sports hero and just kind of being in awe of them. And there was something about how I think that uh, it was the reason why he was out there. He he realized it was a race. Um, I think he always treated it as a race, but like so many of us, there's there's other purposes to being out there. And as we listen to Hal, I think we both appreciated his approach to the race, that the course itself, the race itself, can definitely be therapeutic out there. Um, it's a comforting place. There's something about being out there for so long and alone that you can work through a lot of a lot of different issues and thoughts that you might be having out there. And I think that what most of us always remember about Hal is that great smile of his. And at the same time, I think that there's a lot that we can all learn from him. And he was one of those guys that you never really actually had to meet him in person, but just watching him and listening to some of his words, he, uh, you could learn a lot from a guy like Hal just by watching him. So after that meeting um, with Mike Hall and Hal Russell, pretty, uh, pretty top-notch meeting in my books, Hal and I kept in touch after that race and chatted back and forth a fair amount. Then our final meeting would have come in 2019. And again, in Banff, we hung out with all of our, our old divide friends. And it's kind of a funny place because you become such close and lifelong friends with these people that you really don't spend that much time with. But I think there is that shared understanding of why we're all out there. And again, I think that Hal really embodied that whole reason, the people, the course, and then dealing with whatever issues you may, you may have that, that you need to work through out there. I think that every year Hal did treat the, the event as a race. It was definitely kind of a, a personal experience as well, but for him it was it was a race, and he always tried to keep that, uh, that racing mentality out there, trying to keep his dot within the, uh, the allotted time frame to be a, a, a competitive uh, rider out there. He did, uh, he did realize the importance of being out there. Um, he always said that it was a place that he, he was trying to, to find a place to bury his ghosts out there. And while he had not really gotten rid of his ghosts, he told me, he had accepted them yeah, and accepted that maybe that they were part of him. And he also said that the divide probably was part of him as well. He loved the adventure of it out there. He told me that it would make him feel alive. He felt at peace out there with his ghosts uh, from Vietnam. And I think that really resonates with a lot of us that it's a place of comfort out there. It's pretty wild and remote and at times even maybe a little scary, but it's definitely where you're at peace. So in 2019, after parting away from Banff and working our, all of our separate ways down the course, 
I had encountered some problems that year, ended up in the hospital and needed to to get back home. So headed north, my brother had rented a car and come to get me and he was driving me back home and I spent a little bit of time at Brush Mountain Lodge seeing and some of the racers and seeing some old friends there and just kind of recouping from the, uh, from the effort that I'd gone through. I realized that Hal was a little bit further north of than where I was, so unfortunately probably wasn't going to be able to see him. Kind of bummed about that. As my brother and I headed north and uh, we were zipping along the, uh, the highway, I looked up and realized we were about to cross the, the divide route where we were. And my brother said, hey, there's a rider over there. And as we got closer, this rider that was kind of nearing the highway we were on, we both just looked at each other and said, that's how. <laughs> and just kind of this random meeting out of nowhere, we, uh, we pulled off the road. I jumped out of the vehicle. And Hal wheels up, and he looks at me, and he just he stops. And there's a big old grin on his face, and he leans his bike down on the ground. And we just hang out, walked over to me, and big old hug. And, uh, and it was at that point that that smile kind of gave way to a whole lot of a whole lot of shared tears out there and we exchanged some pretty pretty special words between the two of us it was uh, his last year uh, out on the route he had kind of known that it was probably going to be his last year he had some other health issues he was working through at the time but as is the case out there on the divide our tears kind of just disappear and Again, those that smile and that laughter of of, uh, of friendship on the route came back. And John Schilling, another racer, uh, he was nearby, came across, and so we got to we got to spare a little, spend a little bit of time there. The three of us chatting, having kind of a, a neat, random interaction out on the divide. And I think that how really brought out the best in the divide. It was kind of, it was his understanding that it was more than just a race. It's more than just a personal journey. It's everything kind of combined. And while that smile is kind of what we all remember, I think we can all see in that smile that there was so much more. Hal's going to be missed a lot in our community. And I know that his family and his close friends are all going to miss him so much. And yet we're all so much better off because we knew of of this guy named Hal. Hal, you're going to be missed. But man, you gave us so much and you taught us so much just by being you. Thanks, Hal. My name is Sheila Ryder, and I'm recording this from Austin, Texas. I want to talk about Hal Russell, a great human and cycling legend that we lost last week. Uh, Hal Russell and I had a little bit in common that we both had lined up for the Tour Divide quite a number of times. I've, I've lined up five times with one with one finish. Hal, of course, had a super impressive six out of six record. And 
something that was super interesting to me is that Hal and I actually rode at about the same pace, but he always finished way before me because he was so efficient and so steady. Uh, and he, of course, liked to drink Gatorade and eat junk food, which I just can't bring myself to do, but that does lend itself to an efficiency. In, I think it was 2019, Hal and his wife, Linda, came to Texas so Hal could race the Grand Gravel Fondo 500 that Billy Rice puts on in East Texas. And we got to ride with Hal quite a bit, you know, trading back and forth. But he finished hours before us, of course, because, like I said, he's so incredibly efficient. But I was racing with my my best friend, Sheila, and we we arrived at the Stella Hotel, I don't know, three, four o'clock in the morning, you know, and there was Hal in that empty parking lot. He'd been watching our dots, waited for us, took our picture, gave us a hug, you know, and that just said so much to me about who he was. You know, he was definitely focused on his finish and doing the best he could, but then taking the time to celebrate others, I thought, you know, that just said so much about him. But there was a, another story I wanted to share, and, it, and this was the Tour Divide 2016. I had been riding with Hal, but somehow got ahead of him. And um, I was riding down this road, and I, I saw these two bears up ahead. And I stopped, and I blew my whistle, and I yelled, and did all the things you're supposed to do, and they just weren't moving. And I thought, well, you know, Hal's behind me. I'll just, I'll just go back and, you know, I'll ride with him. So at least I'll have some company. And so I went back and I found him and he was really excited about the bears. And then instead of, you know, grabbing his spray can and being prepared, he grabbed his camera. And so we continued on forward and we got to where I could see the bears and we kept moving forward and the bears weren't moving. And we finally got close enough to see that it was these two gigantic black culverts, big, you know, steel pipe culverts that were staged on the side of the road for some construction project. And we laughed. It was pretty funny. But he didn't make fun of me. He didn't go. He, he never told anybody else that story. And I, I sure would have. Uh, he, was, he was a very good sport about it. Very good sport about it. But again, you know, that's who Hal was. And, you know, my my thoughts out to Linda and to his family, he, you know, it was quite obvious he loved his family. And, you know, Linda was so supportive. I, you know, she came to everything. I, I watched videos of the start of a couple of tour divides. You can see Linda in the background and, you know, always there. And anyway, my, my thoughts out to the family and, how was amazing, and he will certainly be missed. A fugitive pioneer headed to old Mexico. That's uh, what Lena and I, well, no, that, that's what I called Hal Russell. Uh, the entire year that Lena and I rode the tandem on the divide. And like, how do you describe the energy that comes from a guy like Hal? 
Uh, Lena frequently reminded me that there were no fugitive pioneers headed to Mexico and I was living in my own world. But man, talk about like one of the most motivating guys um, that there is. When I think about going back to racing, which is just kind of not a reality for me at the moment where I'm at in my own professional life, it's not the the going fast that I miss. It's not the doing well. It's not Man, it's it's the it's the thirty second interactions with Hal and the guys like Hal. It's climbing Huckleberry Pass, slaving away on the tandem with Hal next to you. You know, talking about the sunset and those interactions. When you're in the race environment, that line of racers that stretches across multiple states becomes this uh, very odd living and breathing thing. And uh, when you knew how it was out there, it brought an energy to the whole route, which is very unusual. To sit and, and talk about specific instances with Hal is, I mean, Hal was bigger than that. The smile that everybody talks about was really just a symptom of the energy that he carried and the legacy that he will leave on the racing environment and every racer that ever came across him and probably multiple generations down of, of racers is, is something that's really hard to describe. You know, I think it'll take me probably months to really dissect the impact that Hal had on the world and the things that he's left behind. He certainly left the world a better place than he found it. He certainly left the racing environment a better place than he found it. And I think what's so great is I don't think he set out to do that. I don't think he had any intention of doing that. I think he was just being who he is uh, and what he was. Uh, and now we all get to sit around and kind of try to figure it out. I had three reasons why I started doing those these races. And uh, first was to, to meet people to see that humanity uh, does exist. And then uh, the second one was to, to discover the country. You know, you dream as a little kid, you dream of all that beautiful country, you dream of being a mountain man and <laughs> all those sorts of things. And then you, you really get to see it. And then the third was I'm a Vietnam veteran. And, I discovered that's the best way for me to uh, kind of take care of my past and the ghosts and, you know, keep myself halfway sane and so on. No, that's why I uh, do the adventure races, because of uh, Vietnam. You know, that's, yeah. uh, you know, some people will be out there, oh, we're racing, or they want to race with, they want to ride with me and stuff. Uh, and, um, you know, I hate to be rude, but... Uh, not that I have agenda, but I'm not out there to beat you, but I am competitive. If uh -huh. you lag back or you go to sleep, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pass you, you know. Yeah. And But uh, my, my main reason is, you know, those three reasons. I want to see the country. I want to I want to meet people. Uh, like one time Billy Rice, uh, somebody at his indie asked him, you ever stop and talk to people? And he said, no, but how does? Do I'll visit with you. Yeah. You know, I won't, might not tarry, but if you want to shake hands and visit, I'm, 
I'm all up. That's why I'm there in a way. For me, it's uh, minutes ago, seconds ago. I wasn't no war hero or nothing. I, I, I you know, I was. Uh, I spent five months up at one place in the in the jungle up at Anke in the highlands, and then I spent another seven months down in a central uh, Vietnam in the, what's called the lowlands in a kind of a field task force unit. But um, it just, uh, I you relive. Uh, you know, you relive it all the time at night, especially in nightmares and stuff. I used to it. I don't, but I do. I mean, it's, yeah. it's just just something you'll yeah. you'll live with. Yeah, and that's what I finally figured out. Uh, I finally got help from the veterans. You don't realize anything's wrong with you if there's you can call it something being wrong with you. And uh, I finally somebody said maybe you could go to the veterans administration and get some help, and so. I, I did, and then they said, oh, you have what they call PTSD, and I didn't even know what that was. Hmm. Ask not for your sympathy, sympathy, only for your understanding. Because for once I stood for something, I, I stood for you. And I think that's what the veterans, the true veterans, that's, you know, that's why, you know, like you said, Memorial Day, they, they gave it their all. No. Yeah. Anyway. We were there, and it was 6 o'clock in the evening, and this shotgun went off. And I seen some mountain bikers laying in the courtyard. Mm -hmm. and so I asked somebody, why, why, why'd they shoot a shotgun? You know, this old guy in a cowboy hat shot this <laughs> shotgun off, and it was uh, Ken Colbert's. And they said, oh, that, that's a 100-mile mountain bike race, Leadville 100. And I thought, wow. And I, I looked at Linda, she, as usual, you're not going to do that, are you? <laughs> and I, I didn't own a bike at the time. Well, I grew up riding bicycle, but I hadn't rode them. You know, we had old bikes, but nothing like yeah. you know, what they had. But long story short, I come home, bought a, bike, a mountain bike, and a couple of years later, I actually entered the Silver Rush 50 at Leadville. It's a 50-mile race, and it, it's pretty tough, actually. How much of, like, riding bikes and going on these adventures is, is just kind of getting away and getting into nature? Because obviously you grew up in a rural city, uh, setting. I'm a home out there. That's uh, that's a home. I, yeah. Uh, people say they're scared out there. I'm not scared out there. I'm, I'm, I'm where I belong, just like here. And I'm not the dark. I'd like it to be dark. I'm, I'm safe in the dark. So. Uh, Why do you feel that way? I, I don't know. I always have. I'm. Dad, Dad, I think Dad taught me those things. Nobody can see in the dark, you know. You're uh -huh. safe out there in the dark, and he's right. He was right. I came home one one day and from school, teaching school, and Linda said, "Oh, I seen this documentary. You ought to, oh. you, you ought to watch it." I said, "Really? Yeah." And it's called uh, "Ride the Divide." Oh no! <laughs> so I, I watched it, and she looked at me, and <laughs> she, she knew. She, she knew. <laughs> yeah. So well, it's her fault. She introduced yeah, I know. it to you. So. <laughs> You have to understand each other. You have to give and take. I mean, that's that's what it's about. If you don't, you know, I mean, I, I hope I understand her too, and yeah, and see her side of things. Well, Forty forty six years. Yeah, 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 forty six yeah. years. Yeah, pretty good. Pretty yeah, good. yeah. I was in the dark. I, I I'm getting in over my head, but that's a neat thing about it. Uh, Dad taught me that too. Just just jump in. You know, it's just like you learn to swim. Yeah. You got to jump in. So 
basically that's pretty much it. I bought a through Sam uh, up at Clinton, Sam Ball. I he, he uh, sold a bike called KHS, and and I'd bought one to to ride in the uh, Leadville 100, uh, a little 26er, and then but uh, they they started making carbon, and I bought a 29 KHS Team Elite, and that was my first nice bike. That was mm-hmm. a nice bike. Uh, when I did the Silver Rush 50. Uh, I I probably had the first 29er around. I know I was the only one in the Leadville in the Silver Rush 50 on a 29er. Wow, early Somebody doctor. seen me on that bike is the Gary Fisher, and uh, I said, "What's that?" And I said, "All I know is the guy at the bike shop said this is a new thing. You yeah. ought to buy one." And so anyway, I I had that bike. My son still has that bike. I give it to my son. Wow, he, he that's rides, great. Rides it now. And I just asked him the other day, <laughs> and uh, about that, but uh. <laughs> each one's been an adventure I knew like I said I know two things I know I'm going to start and I know I'm going to finish and of all the runs and I'm sure they did several hundred uh, different types of runs and I did quite a few bike races of different types and uh, so far I, I I finished every every race I might have drug in last but I yeah. I, I haven't I haven't quit any I, quitting's too easy uh, I learned that I quit a few things, two or three things in my lifetime, and that's a big mistake. And that's the easiest thing you can do is quit. So right. I, I'm sure one of these days something will happen, and I'll have to call it. But and I, she said, "You're all by yourself," and I said, "Well, really, I'm not by myself." And she, I knew she knew what I meant. I was with my couple of buddies I'd lost in Vietnam, and um, ironic thing, I started climbing up this pass called Temple, Temple Pass, or has another name, but you're going up to that pass. And, and uh, all my memories come back and everything. I just let them kind of overflow me, so to speak. And I got up there, and it just a big, everything got black like it was nighttime, but it was daylight. And uh, a rainstorm, like no oh, no rain. You know, I'm, I'm in the Continental Divide at the first divide crossing we had. And I crawled under a giant spruce tree, and, Got under there, get out of the rainstorm. I was under there for 10 minutes or so, and then let up a little bit, and so I peeked out. I looked back the way I'd come from, and the sky was just dark black. And then I turned and looked the other way, and that's the way I needed to go, and the sun was shining. Mm. And I looked around, just wildflowers everywhere, beautiful place I'd, I'd never seen. And I thought, this this is it. This is the place. And I found an old stump there, and I got a couple rocks, and I put them by that stump, and that was my so-called monument to bury my ghost right there. I hung around there a while, and it was just a beautiful place, and then I, you might say, I rode off in the sunset down down the mountain. I I camped that night with the moon, looking out the moon in my little bivy, and I remember, I mean, I remember everything. Everywhere I go, I seem to meet somebody and people ask me you know aren't you scared and you know like even on the tour divide or i'm out do you carry a gun or a weapon or uh, oh my my weapon is my smile and my handshake and uh, i think that that protects you as much as anything what's your personal like biggest accomplishment on on the bike what are you most proud of Finishing the American Trail Race. 
Um, Why don't we, you want to describe that real quick? Because that's even a relatively new race. So it I is. We're um, talking about a little my bit. My friend Billy Rice had, uh, I, I seen her uh, a year or two before that had, I think, Neil Belichinko helped him formulate that race as well. But I'd heard about it and I thought, man, that, that's got to be a cool race. It's it's like the Tour Divide, only it's from the Atlantic to the Pacific. And, and uh, nobody ever did it. And they didn't even know, you know, what the trails would be like or anything. And that was this one was of the 17 deals. Or it 16? was in 2017. Okay. You're going to come to different areas that there might not be a trail there. And, but it's, uh, you know, and that's what happened. You'd have a purple line on your GPS. And he said, you're just, you know, if you figure it out. And, and you would. I, one time, I don't know, I pushed my bike a long ways. And just through the sagebrush and stuff, and there's no trail there. Mm-hmm. I seen a couple other bike tracks once in a while, but other people would blow their thing up and find a route around it. But I generally went through it, and we went across private land a couple of times. I never had good. Uh, uh, Dylan Taylor, he won the race, and he was leading it, and he would find ways around it, and he'd send us how to get around it. But I, I didn't have connections. I didn't get his, you know, taxes and or nothing. So. Uh, twice I went right through the private land. Nobody bothered me, but I went right on. I followed my line, went on through. Yeah. I got stopped once, and a guy told me how to, he said, you can't get through this place, but go up by this barbed wire fence and get through it and drag your bike under and go down along the fence. And I, I did what he said, and, I, you know, stayed on pretty well on my line. Uh, time or two I had to go around. There's no trail completely, and you had to deviate around. But... But um, when I, uh, the desert was probably the hardest. I think when I got through Colorado, and that part of Colorado is tough. You got a couple of alpine climbs, and, and I got sick a few times. I got altitude, or? I got altitude sickness in Colorado, but I overcame that in Lake City. And then uh, I got, my foot got infected, a toe got infected. I, I knew something was going wrong with it. And one night I, I, I was in Utah. I, uh, looked at my foot that night and it was all infected and had kind of red lines up my leg and, and so I I was kind of scared you know I mean I was worried that hey I might have to go to the hospital and, and I had a hundred I want to say 180 miles to go without any stops but uh, there was a place uh, that was off route uh, only about two miles on a, a big big interstate highway and so I went over there. Well, long story short, I woke up in the morning. My foot was really bad. And I called Linda, and, and I had some— uh, About what mile was this into the race, just for reference? Oh, uh, probably uh, 3,500. Okay. I so you were getting closer to the end. Uh, well, somebody told me Close-ish. when I got to Colorado, they said, you're, you're about there. I, said, <laughs> I think my race is just starting. And uh, it's a Utah, Nevada, Oregon that that's going to test you. So it goes east to west. Yeah, okay. that, that's going to test your ability. Uh, first thing, it, it averages 100 degrees every day, and and uh, up to 100. I think the RSI recorded 112, hmm. but uh, Oregon was the hottest actually. Oh, that's a and and but you just hey, have no tree, no nothing, in the desert, and that sun just beating down on you. Uh, it, it it's unbelievable, and and your water is almost boiling. It seems like you know you're drinking hot hot Gatorade and hot water all of a sudden, and you're afraid that you can't run out. You're there's nobody out there, nobody. 
you're they're heading besides the other bike riders. And I'm I all of a sudden I think um, in Nevada, Utah or Nevada, Billy sent me a text and he said, Now now you're the you're the Lantern Rouge, you're the last one. There are two other guys behind me and they 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 they, they uh, DQ'd they they took another route. They they had to quit. They said mm. and they they did make it to the coast, but they went another route and yeah. went by the highways and so on. And so uh, I said, you know, okay. And but uh, was that was that a, a a good push, a good motivator? Well, you've never quit anything anyway. I wasn't so gonna, you didn't, you didn't I, need there's any no more way motivation. I was going to quit. Uh, but uh, my foot, you know, gave me pro. You know, I thought, wow, what am I going to do now? And uh, I had this uh, zithromycin for my antibiotic that I carry, I carry stuff with me. And, and so, um, I, I took it and Linda said she would call the, uh, our nurse practitioner home and, and see what I should do. And I, she actually, she called me and I was able to talk to her oh, wow. and she said, um, you're probably all right, Hal, uh, <laughs> you probably need an antibiotic when next town you get to, I probably needed, need you to go to a pharmacy and get an antibiotic, like a penicillin antibiotic. Hmm. Uh, okay. And, and uh, so, um, uh, but she said, send me a picture of your foot. You're probably okay. And I did. And oh, I got a text right back. You're not okay. <laughs> you have blood poisoning. I run uh, up my leg. So that's when I went off route two miles. And I went to this uh, uh, truck stop, big, big, big stop. And I went and told a lady I'd had, had trouble. And there's a picnic ground there with with uh, shade and everything. And I asked the lady, is okay? And the nurse practitioner said, you should ice that down and take a little bit of time off and take care of it. And so I, I got some ice in there, and the lady said, I'll look out after you, the lady in the store. And uh, I asked her, is okay if I went out there and cabbage one of those picnic tables and slept a little bit? And Yeah, yeah. So I iced my foot and, and everything, and the, my nurse practitioner said, you uh, need to put a pad of something on there and then tape it up. And uh, so I did. I all I had was gorilla tape, and I had some bandages, and I put that on there. Gorilla tape my foot up, and I'd already cut my shoes. I did an X like this and slipped my mm -hmm. shoes open to take the pressure off, because I actually had trouble with both feet, but just infection one. So uh, I did that, and that helped a lot. And about two o'clock, it it cooled off. It clouded up, and that's the first time it did that. Well, I got on my bike and took off because I couldn't stay there. And I rode 80 miles, and late that night, uh, I got close to Nevada. I was still in Utah. And uh, when I woke up, I just camped out in the desert. And when I woke up the next morning, the pain was gone. Whoa, Whoa I caught a break here. That the penicillin I didn't the... have the penicillin yet. Okay. The zithromycin had kicked in. So uh, it was a long next day. Uh, and they, uh, I, Linda had called ahead and and said there's a pharmacy there in Ely, and uh, I could get, that pharmacist could get me some medicine there. So uh, I, uh, you know, that was, uh, my intent was to make it there, and that was a long, hot day. It was mm. way over 100 degrees. It seemed like all day long. I was running out of water, but long story short, at 3 o'clock in the morning, I made it there. I uh, got a motel, a little, you know, in the there's gambling everywhere. It's 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 Nevada. <laughs> the, it's all about casinos mm -hmm. and everything else on the dark side. You, you might can get married it. there too, real quick. Yeah, if you, you want. can do anything there. <laughs> I noticed. <laughs> but anyway, I stayed in this motel, and uh, five thirty in the morning, I 
seeing I had a text from this pharmacist, and I called him. He said, I, I want to know where he was. I could come. It's Sunday. He said, I, I'll, I'll be right over there. And he brought the cell oh, pills to me and uh, dropped them off to me. So that's our job. He said, we, that's what we're supposed to do. So anyway, I got, nice got, got it and started taking them, and, and I got over that. I, I had some other injuries. I cut my knee open, and, and I needed to uh, have it sewed up probably, but I just took steroid strips and, and Gorilla tape and taped it around <laughs> there. And I, got, I stopped at another pharmacy and got some iodine that cured it. But when I got there, when I finally did make it to the, the coast, that was unreal. Uh, uh, I noticed everybody, the people, I say everybody, there's only eight ahead of me, only eight, eight finishers. One of them was a tandem, so there's actually nine riders. But uh, 12 of us, bike started and eight finished. And That's impressive for that race. Yeah, yeah. But th That's these were good, real people. Good finish that, percentage. That, there wasn't no uh, rookies, so to speak, right. in, in the race. Yeah. They, they were the real deal. And so even the ones that dropped out, they were real. They just... Yeah. Had reasons. They, mm. You know. It happens. Yeah. And, but anyway, uh, uh, I told you I like baseball. My idea, if you're a baseball fan or baseball player, the old one, if you were, I'm, I'm not, I never was very good, but I love baseball and I played as much as I ever could. And I'm mostly a bench setter, but I, I even coached baseball for years mm. in high school and the little leagues and Babe Ruth and stuff. But, uh, if you do make it to the major leagues, they say you get your cup of coffee. That's that's the ultimate. If you just make it up there, and so when I finished, that's you know, my thinking was as an endurance bicyclist, I got my cup of coffee. I might not really belong there, but I I, I touched base. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, I had that feeling. That I, counted for you. Like I, I just got you know. I won't be, I'll never get on a podium or anything, but I got my cup of coffee in yeah. that race. That's and, awesome. And, uh, and I, I still feel like I'm still getting a drink of cup of coffee once in a while when I finish the Tour Divide. So. Where does that come from, though? Do you have any idea where that, because when I was talking to Lales, she said that, I mean, just the thought of quitting just never enters your brain. No, not. not what, where does that come from? What is that? I think my dad instilled that into me. Yeah, and there's a lot of stories, uh, and he related. I'm, I, I get off on tangent telling story, but please do. Uh, I, I, I like I like the outdoors. I coon hunted when I was a kid. Dad was a coon hunter and uh, had hounds and one. Linda and I got married. Uh, we moved back to the farm. I I wanted to buy a coon dog. She didn't know what a coon dog was, <laughs> <laughs> and so I got an old dog. And then I, I, this buddy of mine, he had some puppies. He said, um, "I'll sell you the." A good puppy, good dog. And so I went out there, and there was just $25, he said. And I picked out the one I wanted, and he said, oh, not for sale. And uh, he said, I've sold them all but one. And I said, well, which one? He said, I can't find it. And, <laughs> and uh, he said he had nine. There were only eight in the pen. And we looked outside the pen and crawled under, and there's this little runt, sick old coon hound there. He said, that's it. Oh, dang, it's about to die. Oh, that's it. And I said, well, okay. And I named him Willie, and I took him home and showed him to Dad. And I said, dang, this is a dog I bought. He said, no, don't worry about that. He said, the trick to that is, um, he said, you just let him be who he can be. There's no quitting a dog like that. And I remember him saying that. Mm -hmm. He said, uh, just like you, 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 you never quit anything. Just, just stay, hang in there and 
He'll be the best, best he can possibly be in. I'm glad you didn't beat me with shingles on top of everything yeah. else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to, was that actually, I wanted to talk about the Grand Gravel because that's where, that's where I first met you and we got, um, you know, it, it was great. I have great memories from yeah. that race because obviously I knew who you were coming into it and it was my first race and I was, we kind of leapfrogged each other quite a bit, you know, uh, it seemed, do you remember, do you remember that? It seemed like we were I, always I like. I remember it all. <laughs> leapfrogging. Yeah. One neat thing about the race is that you can have a, you might not, and for me, I might not be that competitive, but especially the Tour Divide, there's people in front of you and people behind you. And I like to think I'm always trying to catch those people within 50 or 100 miles in front of me, and I'm trying to stay ahead of the ones that distance That's behind That's your race. Me. Yeah, and so that, yeah, you get to race. And same way with the Grand Gravel. Um, I wasn't in shape to do the Grand Gravel that year, but Billy, uh, how you got to do it, and I just, I'm not going to do it, but he kept edging me on, come on, do it. <laughs> he said, I think how, he says he's not going to do it, but he really is, so... I, I said, okay. He goaded you into he it. He did, and I went down there, and no miles on me at all. And, but uh, I, I, I did it, but you just happened to be the one that <laughs> was around me. <laughs> I'm glad I was and, around uh, you. It and was, then there the two Sheilas, if you know Sheila. I do, yeah. Uh, the Sheilas, I call them number one, number two. <laughs> and, you know, I, I, I'm i thinking I'm not going to let them beat me, you know. Mm -hmm. But... uh. And there, there were two or three others behind me. And Billy said, you're mid-pack. And so I uh, passed you probably the, the second day you were camped by a, in your sleeping bag by this little building or something, a little shed. Mm -hmm. And I snuck by you. I didn't wake up. <laughs> but yeah, then, you snuck by me the second that, time. Well, you, sla you or... slipped by me. Uh, I was at a sea store, and I seen you go by me. You're crossing a bridge, and we was at some town. You went on by me. And uh, uh, so... You were in a restaurant once the first day when I passed you, but then you went by me. And anyway, but I seen you go by me, and then somehow I got by you. I didn't know how I got by you that last, next to last day. But uh, I'd got me a bunch of fried chicken at a place, and, and I'd stopped up in the mountain or in a, a Yeah, park. you can't say mountains. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't mountains. There wasn't no mountains. There wasn't even no hills. And yeah. Yeah. But anyway, I stopped there in, the, I think, some kind of national park. And I leaned against a tree, and I seen your light coming. And uh, you asked me how far I was going. I said I was getting ready to camp. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was night three. Yeah. It was about 350 miles yeah. in, I think. But uh, I lied to you. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for clearing that <laughs> yeah, up. Yeah, and you said you were going to go camp. And so I let you go get out of sight, and then I... <laughs> I quietly come up behind you. I didn't know where you camped, but... I had a pretty stealth spot that yeah, night. Yeah, and so I... Well, I've been wondering. I had to ask you about that because, I mean, that was the one thing... Well, there was a lot of things that stood out from that race, but I remember that. And uh, you passed me, uh, you know, I was like... I, I was trying to decide because there was about 150 miles left. Yeah. And I already we we both probably put in a pretty good day yeah. already. Yeah. And I'm like, man, it's that, it's that spot where it's kind of close, but it's also kind of far yeah. and... I was really struggling with whether or not I was going to keep going or not. And you, you, I think you just put that in my head. You're like, oh, I think I'm just going to go yeah, a little ways yeah. and, and sleep. And, yeah. and mentally, I think I just kind of turned it off. And I'm ashamed to admit, but I, what, what it really came down to for me was that McDonald's that's in Navasota. Oh, yeah. I, I, I was starting to have a little bit of a rough time. 
And I, I based, I was like, all right, if that's a 24 hour McDonald's, I'm going to keep going. Cause I want an egg McMuffin or whatever yeah. it was that I wanted. And, uh, it I was got, closed. Yeah. And so I wound up, huh. uh, camping yeah. and then I woke up and I'm like, that old dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I love it though, man. I love it. I got it's in all a, in the spirit of the race. I got man. in about nine that morning. I think something like that. Yeah. And uh, I got in two, two that afternoon yeah. and that's, and that's yeah. that sleep, man. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> it I was chasing uh, Marty Johnson and I are good friends, if you know Marty. Mm -hmm. And so I was chasing him, and he beat me once, and then I, I if I beat him, it's usually because he fell out. He's a good rider. He's stronger than I am. But uh, uh, this year, and one time I was 100 miles behind him, but I just kept gaining and kept gaining, and, and th this uh, morning I woke up, and I was probably 50, 60 miles behind him, and it started raining, getting in mud, and I thought, when they get up this... Uh, it's called a something Hopewell Campground. I bet he'll stop there, and I just kept a coming. And, uh, and sure enough, him and uh, three or four other guys had stopped there. One of the guys' name was Paul, and one Mark. There were three other guys. So I got there about midnight and pulled in there, and it was raining right down. And there's a little uh, shelter there, and they're in it. They mm -hmm. got their bikes all cleaned up. They'd been there for a while, and and able to wash their bikes off. There's a water hydrant there and all that stuff. And it was really raining. I, I didn't want to wake them up. And so I, I went out, I, I carry a tent, a little tent, and I went out in the woods and, and camped. And I got up before it got daylight and got over that water hydrant trying to get that mud off. And, and I seen them wake up and come out. And Marty looked at me. I smiled <laughs> and he shook his head. And I caught him, you know. I thought, uh -huh. damn, I caught you guys. I'm, I'm sure I'm getting slower and I'm getting old and things are going downhill on me, but it's like Father Time's behind you. He's the one you're racing. So uh, I don't think uh, I, I'm ready to quit. Or I'm like, I'd like to think like some old mountain man would say, you know, I'm going to go until I just lay down. Right. And I, I, I really believe that. I think, you know, surely, you know, it's just like an old truck. It'll finally wear out and stop, and I'll be that way sometime too. I know that, but <laughs> until then, I, until that, you know, that piston breaks or something, I'm 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 good to go. I, yeah, I got a lot yet to see. Uh, I still relate it back to people in wars. They they're not out there, so uh, we're we. And some reason that bullet didn't hit us, or that car didn't run over, so whatever. And we should keep it going. Yeah. My buddy uh, Sam Ball taught me this, and uh, he he once told me he said uh, uh, how he said we're, when we were born, we we're all given our own space. He said uh, you might as well go up there, out there and take up your part of it, and I, I believe that. And uh, a lot of people don't do that. Yeah, we we you know we were it given, just kind of coast through life. Yeah, instead yeah. Of, and so there's adventure out there, there's things to do, and man, I, I sure want to. I want my share. Heck yeah. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I feel guilty for those. The best thing I can do for those that didn't get their share, so to speak, I, 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 maybe I can see it for them. We all have our personal heroes and idols and stuff, and uh, you're, you're certainly yeah. one of mine. So I appreciate yeah. you taking the time to share some of your story with me. Uh, thank you for visiting with me. Uh, I, I'm humbled that you would talk to me. Oh, ask absolutely. Ask me questions. Well, I've absolutely enjoyed it, man. Thanks for yeah. taking the time. Yeah.
Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to today's episode and this special tribute to a remarkable man and our friend Hal Russell. When I purchased his book, he inscribed in the front cover a message, and I thought I'd share it with you. It says, Patrick, sometimes we are so afraid of dying, we are scared to live. To me, difficulties are just adventures. You figure it out as you go. Thank you for thinking of me. It means a lot. Touch both lines. Love, Hal. You touched both lines, my friend. Now ride in peace. Mm -hmm.